Good morning. Everybody doing all right? I'm going to read this scripture for you. This comes out of Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Do you believe that? Believe that? Can we, can we declare that together? We believe that? Say, we believe. We believe. Let's go. Let's stand up. Let's worship. Come on.
Good morning and welcome, Westgate Chapel. I'm very excited to be here worshiping with you this morning and online as well. Um, if you are new here or if you have been here for a while, the Connect cards are in the pew in front of you. Please take a moment to fill those out and uh, leave them in the back. Or if you are new, take them out to the Welcome Center. We have a small gift of appreciation for you joining us this morning. Um, also available online and on the app is our sermon notes. Uh, so please pull those up if you want a paper copy. They're also available outside of the sanctuary doors or with our ushers this morning as well. I want to highlight a few activities that we have uh, going on here in the next uh, few weeks. Uh, first of all, on November 20th is our International Friends Thanksgiving. Um, if you haven't uh, been involved in that, it is a wonderful event, an opportunity to uh, get connected with uh, Westgate, but also with the international community here in Toledo. Um, so if you are interested in serving, go to westgatechapel.org backslash serve at Thanksgiving, or there's a table out in the W Cafe to learn more about that as well. Um, also, next week is the New People Party. So if you are new here, please come on out for lunch, connect with some of our staff, and meet other new people at Westgate and get plugged in as well. You can find all of these opportunities and lots more uh, on the app or online, so I encourage you to check that out as well. Let's take a few minutes this morning to meet somebody new or say hi to an old face. So... Uh, Get up and say hi. <laughs>
nothing that our God can't do. Amen? I mean, think about it. I mean, he has all power over all creation. 
There is nothing that is too big for him. There is no mountain so big that he cannot move it. There is no heart that is so cold that he cannot change it and transform it. It is a beautiful thing when we think about how incredible our God is. I want to ask you this question this morning. There's nothing our God can't do. My question is, you know, it's really easy to say, and it comes off of our lips really easy, but do we really believe it? Do we really believe it? it, Does it show up in the way that we ask God to move and to do things, and to do things that only he can do? Uh, I want to introduce you this morning to Leanne Leongfern. Uh, Leanne has been a faithful uh, member of our church for a number of years and as well serves in our kids' ministry department. And Leanne, you got to have a cool experience last week. And uh, you sent me an email this week telling me a little about some of the things that you were praying for in the service last week. And would you maybe share with us just a little bit about that? Yeah. So this past year, I've been taking a course called Empower, and it has greatly impacted my prayer and has um, just taught me to listen to God and to pray for the things that God um, is asking me to pray for. So last week when Adam talked about Jesus changes everything and challenged us to think about the miraculous ways that God can change people and change situations, um, I was prompted to actually pray for my Sunday school class. And I have this heart and burden that my kids just not know and um, understand God's word, but I want them to experience the love of Jesus. Um, So um, then Rob moved into an invitation, powerful message, an invitation for people to commit to following Jesus. And when he did that, I started to pray that God would move people's hearts. And as you prayed and you were praying over your class, uh, you then after service headed over to get ready and they all start filing in and tell us a little bit about how God answered that prayer of yours. Yeah, so um, we were teaching about um, Solomon building the temple for God to dwell with his people. And I wanted the kids to understand that now Jesus lives in them. They are the temple of God, the Holy Spirit. So I was telling them that, and as an example, I turned to the boy on my left, and I said, so-and-so, because he's a Christian, he is now a temple of God. He has God dwelling in him. And the boy on my right said, wait, how do you know he's a Christian? Now that is music to a Sunday school teacher's ears. (laughs) So you get, yeah, so you get to talk about that with the kids. And after we talked about it, the boy on my um, right said, how do you do that? Wow. So we got to talk about that. And then um, our Bible verse for the day. I have to use a little bit of actions to help me along. So it was the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Uh, maintaining love to thousands and yet he does not let the guilty go unpunished so I was able to once again use that verse to explain the gospel during activity I took the little boy into the hallway and I asked him do you want to commit do you want to be a follower of Jesus do you want to be a Christian and he said yes so um, he wanted me to pray and he wanted to to copy me. So I said, dear God, um, thank you for making me. And he said, dear God, 
thank you for making me. And then he started naming all the things that God made and all the world, right? And then he on his own just started asking God to, um, that he wanted to be a follower of God. And it was such this beautiful, heartfelt prayer. And I got to be there and, um, when he did that. So that was such a joy. And then the icing on the cake. Yes, the icing on the cake was when his mom came upstairs and I got the privilege of telling her what her son had just prayed. She was so moved because she told me that her son, um, while she was down in service, that she had felt the Holy Spirit moving powerfully. And it was because upstairs in kids' room, somebody was praying and it was her son. And so just as Rob was inviting you all to like commit your lives to Jesus, upstairs there was a little boy praying to do that. Let's praise God. That is so awesome. God is good. You know, Leanne, I, uh, I love that testimony because it's just incredible that when we go to God and just faithfully ask him, with boldness and believing that he'll respond. It is so awesome to see him respond. I believe if we would be faithful to do that more often, that we would see his hand and his spirit and his power moving mightily through us. And we're gonna hear about that this morning. The thing that God desires from each of us is that we would be faithful to follow him, but to ask him and to expect him to move and do incredible things. And so this morning, we wanna continue in our worship, worship of our God, who can do all things and who answers those who are faithful to ask. Life and breath come 
give us healing. Yes, you do. And now we're surrendering. You give us hope. And you give us healing. Praise to the King we sing. You give us life. You have forgiven. this morning. God, we thank you so much for your salvation. Thank you for that gift, Father. It's a gift that no one else, nothing else on this earth can give us. We know you have conquered death, Father. We know you have defeated death. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here who doesn't know what that means, that they would ask questions. As we just heard about, God, anyone anyone of any age, of any background. And anyone who's done anything, they think it's unforgivable. God, they are, you offer salvation to us all. So I pray if there's someone here who doesn't understand what that message means, God, they would ask questions. But in the we as a community of believers, as a body of believers, that would be willing to go, would be willing to share our faith, be willing to serve. And we sit here and talk about, we sing about, we preach about, and we bang on our drum for, you know, God's kingdom is coming, God's kingdom is coming, but what are we doing about it? We're going to preach about your kingdom. May we be willing to advance it, Father. We love you. Teach us to be more like you. It's in your holy and precious name that all God's people pray. Amen. At this moment, we're going to take our morning offering. And I uh, just want to invite you, if you're a guest here, feel free to let that go by. Our offering uh, is really for uh, consider Westgate their home church. We don't want you to feel any obligation. Uh, but right now we have our buckets that are here in the center aisles. If you're sitting in the middle, if you'd grab one and just pass them out, they're going to come all the way across and our ushers will help with that. Uh, and then I know some of our ushers will also be in the top helping as well. Um, 
just a great time for us to pause and to worship and to give thanks to the Lord uh, for how he has provided for us, but how we get to participate with him in his work. So let's just pause for a minute as we take our offering this morning. Again, I want to thank you for coming and worshiping with us today and uh, being a part of our service. I hope that, especially if you're a guest this morning, that you just feel welcome uh, into this community. I know for me, I feel welcome this morning. My daughter walked up to me and said, I was just told to say hi to an old face. So she walked up to me. Yeah. Thank you, Riley. I feel the love. It's deep. I have a feeling it's not because you see me every day either, but hey, it's all good. It might be the white in the beard. Anyway, um, hey, uh, I am super glad that you're here and uh, pray that uh, you not only will feel welcome into this community and as a place where you could find a connection with other believers, but also a place where you can dig into God's word and grow deeper in your relationship with him. I uh, want to remind you that following this morning's service, uh, just one quick aside, uh, we're going to be having a baptism meeting for anybody that is interested in being baptized in the adults or even youth. Uh, if that is a part of your journey, you've never taken uh, taking the step of being baptized and uh, professing your faith in Christ uh, through baptism. We would love for you to join us for this meeting. Again, it's going to happen after the service. Uh, I'm going to meet with people just down here in the front on this side. And so whether you've signed up or registered for that, or you may be sitting here this morning going, you know what, I've never taken that step. It's something I want to learn more about and potentially do. Uh, I would encourage you to join us. We're going to have a baptism service next Sunday. And uh, I know we've got a bunch of young people that are going to be baptized as well. We're very excited about that. So uh, again, if that is a step you would like to take, please join me after the service this morning. As I was preparing for the message this week, I was thinking about how I kind of have this love-hate relationship, especially as I was driving, a love-hate relationship with warning lights on my dashboard. Anybody here feel the same way about those warning lights? How many people here feel like you have a really good grasp on what all of those warning lights on your dashboard of your car mean? Anybody here? A couple of you feel like you have a good grasp? I know uh, Dan Lang was, uh, you know, our local car dude is like, hey, it's me, you know, I, I know those really well. I have a love-hate relationship relationship with them. Uh, most people, uh, I find myself included when they come on, don't always necessarily know what all of them mean. Uh, and so I thought it would be great to have a little test this morning to see how much you know about dashboard warning lights. Uh, as important as they are, I am still baffled by how many people don't know what they mean. So we're going to start off pretty easy. You'll see this first one here on the screen. Anybody tell me, what is this? You say bright lights? Wrong. Low beams. These are the low beams. Or in my house, we call it the jellyfish launcher activation. Can you see it? Can you see it? All right. Anyway. All right. Yep. You guys did better than first with that. Okay. Uh, let me see here. The next one. Take a look at this one. What is this? All right. This is not a boulder falling through your windshield and landing on you. This is your airbag uh, system. So let you know how that is going. Number three. How about this one? I asked Dan Lang about this. Anybody know what this is? Dan Lang said it means it's going to cost you a lot of money. <laughs> 
What does it mean? It has, it has something to do with a warning usually about your braking system, okay? Number four, how about this one? Pastor Dan, this does not mean it's time to get a pump at the gym. It's not ab day, all right? What does this mean? Automatic braking? No. What is it? Anti-lock braking system. Good, good, good. What's the next one? All right. This one looks like a flag bobbing in the ocean to me. Oil? No. Coolant. Coolant level. All right. Here we go. Next one. We're having a little competition. My favorite one. Time to go home and have a barbecue. Right? I'm telling you, that looks like three steaks on a grill to me. What does it mean? Anybody? Did I hear it? Yes, catalytic converter. Excellent. Most likely overheating. Good. Next one. Ladies, this does not mean that the local shoe store is having a sale, all right? It does not mean step on it. What is it? It's the light that comes on when you need to press on the brake. Last one. Or no, not the second to last one. This means go back to bed. <laughs> Frost on the road. And then the one that I am most notorious for ignoring, the low fuel light. Now, I'm notorious for ignoring this light, and I love to push my car to the limit. Even this past week, this light came on in my truck, and I was reminded about what a bane to my existence this light is. Because when I see it, I think to myself, not it's time to go get gas. I think, how far can I actually go before I have to stop to get gas? Now, this has been a plague to me in my life because I have run out of gas a couple times trying to push the limits of my vehicle. However, um, when I got my current truck that I drive, uh, there was something magical. Now, if you look at this picture, I took this this past week. When it starts to get low, like my truck counts down how many miles I have left. So low fuel light comes on, it says 37 miles to go. I'm ecstatic. I can push this thing to like five miles, four miles, and then go get gas. Except, as excited as I was when I got the truck, I didn't realize it would do this when I hit 35 miles an hour. Low. Just low. Like, it takes me back into that place of not knowing. I'm like, okay, somewhere 35 miles. I mean, how am I supposed to figure this out? When am I going to actually run out of gas? How can I actually pull this off? I find it frustrating because I want to know exactly how long I have so I can push to the very last second of getting gas. Warning lights. They give you a very clear indication of something. Something's up. And you better check it out, but they don't tell you everything. We have been going through a series entitled Urgent, taking a look at Matthew chapter 24 and 25, where Jesus talks to his disciples about the end times and his future coming. A time in which Jesus has told them, you do not know the day or the hour. No one knows the day or the hour. Not the angels in heaven, not the son himself, but only the father. But he tells them that there are different signs and even warnings that they will be able to visibly see that will indicate that that time is actually coming. You'll remember that Jesus and his disciples are walking through the temple area, and as the disciples are marveling at the temple, Jesus tells them the temple one day is going to be destroyed. He says that, uh, and, and that causes all sorts of dismay, as his disciples not only think about what he just said about the temple, because they believe that he's coming to set up a time of peace, and then he's been talking about dying, and they're dismayed, and they say, when are these things going to happen? And Jesus, when? 
When are you going to come? When are you going to return? When are you going to set up your kingdom? And Jesus tells them what we just talked about, that nobody knows the day or the hour, but he lists for them all of these different signs and warnings and things that will help them to know that the time is coming. But he says, these aren't going to be perfect. They're like, you know, they're like birth pains, you know, they will grow in intensity, they will increase until the time that Jesus returns, but nobody knows the day or the hour. But the one thing that he's been really clear about as we've read through this is about helping his disciples understand that the most important thing is that they are watchful. As we live in our world today, we have talked about the fact that there are so many different signs that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 24 that seem to not only be happening, but growing in intensity. Things that would lead us to believe that possibly we may be living in the day and the era where Jesus himself comes and returns again to take his people home. And because of this, we sit and we look at these signs and we study them and we ask the question, is it now? Is it today? It can be very easy to want to just sit in front of the computer and see what Iran is doing and see what's happening over in Russia and what is China doing and what is happening in our own country and all of the decay and and chaos that seems to be ensuing and say, is this the moment? But why did Jesus give the signs to his disciples? What was the ultimate purpose of what he wanted to communicate to them? because that holds truth for us. That's what we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. And he said the most important thing that they would do is to be watchful, to be ready, to be on guard. And we talked last week in in the very beginning about what it means to be watchful. Jesus continues in Matthew chapter 25 to tell two parables where he will give this explanation. And he begins with this parable of what is called the parable of the 10 virgins where he tells the story. And if you're following along in your notes, this is your first fill in this morning. He essentially teaches us that a person who is watchful is a person who is personally prepared because they are continually trusting Christ. In other words, to be watchful isn't about sitting and just staring up at the sky and looking at signs and wondering if today is the day. Being watchful is about understanding, have we ourselves, are we prepared? Are we trusting Christ every day? Is our relationship with God in its right place? And Jesus gives them this understanding. If you think about some of the signs that he talks about, he says that in the last days that there will be many false teachers that come. Many people will be led astray. The love of most will grow cold. And if that's a picture of even what we live in today, it would be even more important for us to understand that to be watchful means that we need to be careful not to be led astray by the things of this world or even by false teaching, but that we stay with a heart of fidelity towards God and that we are committed to him continually trusting in Christ. Today, we're going to look at the second parable, though, in Matthew chapter 25 to continue to understand what it means to be watchful. And this parable, the parable of the talents, one that many people are familiar with, teaches us this truth. A person who is watchful is faithfully investing their life in the purposes of the kingdom. A person who is watchful is faithfully investing their life in the purposes of the kingdom. And I want to unpack that together this morning as we dig into this passage. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to look at verses 14 through 30 together. And uh, it'll also be here on the screen for you. But let's, uh, let's dive into God's word together. He continues by saying... It will be like a man, remember it will be, or for it will be, is referring back to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man who is going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, 
to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five more. And his master said to him, Well done. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, as we read this passage, I think what I would like to do this morning is begin by simply digging into the parable itself and taking a look at the story, if you will, that Jesus tells that teaches us some very important truths. One of the first observations that you see as you look at this parable, fill in in your notes, is that the master in this parable gave extravagantly to his servants. Now, has anybody here ever received a gift that they would consider to be extravagant from someone? Like you got something, you thought to yourself, man, that was just an incredible gift. For me, growing up, uh, one of the extravagant gifts, probably the most extravagant gift that I think I was ever given was when my grandmother came to me and said that she was going to pay for my schooling uh, in college. It was an extravagant gift. Uh, it was something far beyond anything I could ever dream of. And I think that's really what makes extravagant gifts so incredible. They go well beyond expectation. But even more, I think for me, it was so extravagant because I knew in my own heart that I didn't deserve it. When I was in high school, I was not a great student. My freshman and sophomore years, I don't even dare to mention in public places what my GPA was, but it was not good. I was not a great student, and for many reasons, I really struggled in school. And so when my grandmother came to me and she said that she was going to do this, it meant even more to me because I felt in a very deep way, I'm not very deserving of this gift that I'm being given. But what was interesting is that I find that when a gift like that is given, you also have the opportunity to respond in one of two ways to those gifts. For me, it created a very strong sense of responsibility, which changed some of my behaviors. 
But the other potential was to take it for granted and really just say, you know, it's kind of like I deserve this and thank you, but really not have it impact me at all. I think we see these two responses to an extravagant gift at play within this parable. The master is given extravagantly to his servants. And we read in verses 14 through 15, he says, It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. Letter A under uh, this first point, what we need to understand is that the talents in this parable, varying in amount, had, had considerable value. Now, just to make a clear understanding, I've heard this passage preached in some pretty bad ways in the past, like that when we talk about a talent, like we need to just say, hey, a talent means your gift or your ability that you have, and are you using your gifts and abilities? But what you need to understand is that a talent in that day was a ancient measuring unit for gold and silver. It wasn't even money or coins itself. It was a measuring unit for gold and silver. And to feel the force of this... As you study it, some people believe that when they're talking about five talents, that even one talent itself, modern day, would potentially, this unit of weight of gold or silver, could have been upwards of $300,000. Five talents itself, which is given to this one servant, would have employed 100 day laborers for about a year's time. It's an incredible value what is being entrusted to these servants. And letter B, the thing that I also think we need to understand is that the clear expectation in what was entrusted to them was multiplication. This wasn't just a gift to be enjoyed or to be squandered. They were, it was meant for them to steward it well for their master. They were the servants. Their responsibility was to take what they had been given and to multiply it. There was a sense of responsibility that they must have carried. But I think what is really important for us as we understand these truths is that the key, I believe, to understanding this parable is that it is not meant to picture just an employer-employee relationship, something that's transactional or cold or hard or focused on the bottom line. And you'll see this truth come out in the passage. The key is not to to picture it like an employer-employee relationship. Instead, what you have to do is see and feel the joy and excitement that exists within the passage, the heart that exists between the two servants and their master. You see, as we continue, the first two servants appear to be motivated by their devotion to their master and reap the benefits of that devotion. In verses 16 through 17... Uh, It tells us this, it says, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. You know, what's interesting to me is that as I read through this part of the passage, it says that when the first guy with five talents is entrusted with them, it says that he went at once. There was this immediate response to what he was entrusted with, an immediate action, seeking to multiply what he had been given. 
It's interesting as I think about that because I think about the gift that was given to me by my own grandmother and I think about how extravagant it was and the weight and responsibility that I felt because of it and because I didn't feel quite deserving of it is there was a, quite a number of changes, drastic changes that I made to my study habits, to how I would look for help in school when I needed it because my greatest desire was to make my grandmother proud my greatest desire was to show her how grateful I was to, to be given such an incredible gift and to be trusted with that. You know, when I read this, the two servants, as we said, appear to be motivated by their devotion to their master. It's not just employee and employer relationship. And they reap the benefits of that devotion. In verses 20 to 21, it says this, that he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. I have made five more. And his master says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I mean, can you picture for just a moment the scene when the master returns? The master has gone away. He's been gone for a long period of time. They don't know exactly when he's coming, but the appearance that is given is that as the master returns, this servant is ready and excited to give his report to his master. He comes forward having doubled what he was entrusted with, ecstatic to share his excess and feel the pride of his master washing and washing over him. And his master is overflowing with praise. Look at what he says. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I want you to notice what the emphasis here of the master's words are because it holds a whole lot of importance for us. Notice that he doesn't go, yes, you doubled my money. This is great. Look at all the wealth that I have. What does he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. The emphasis within the passage is not put on how much the person did. The emphasis is put on his faithfulness. And then he lavishes his joy on the servant and gives him even greater responsibility. We see this and we know that this is true because we also see when the next servant comes along with the two talents he was given and he's doubled with another two more, the response is the same. The encouragement, the lauding that is put on this servant is on his faithfulness. And the picture that is painted for us is one of a joy and intimacy that exists in the relationship between the servant and the master. And I believe what we see in this passage is that this is God's design for us. That this same type of intimacy the same type of joy is the design that he has for us when we are faithful to him. However, the third servant gets a little bit different of a response. The third servant, it says, appears to be motivated by his devotion to himself and he reaps the consequences of that devotion. I'll say it again. The third servant appears to be motivated by his devotion to himself and he reaps the consequences of that devotion. In verse 18, it says, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. 
And then fast forward to verses 24 and 25 when he stands before his master. It says, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Essentially, what this third servant does is he has been entrusted this with this one talent is that he does absolutely nothing with it. He puts it into the ground. He buries it over. And when the master comes, he digs it back up and he just gives him what he was given. And his excuse for doing so, literally, he blames his master for his own lack of responsibility. What does he say? He says, you're a hard man. In other words, I know that you're a shrewd businessman. You can't bear to lose out. And you don't care who gets trampled in the process. Not only does he say that he's a hard man, but he says, you reap where you do not sow and you gather where you have scattered no seed. In other words, you benefit off of the work of other people, even unjustly. And what we see that exists between this third servant and his master is a lack of relationship, a lack of intimacy, a lack of truly knowing his master, maybe even a lack of desire on his part to please the master. And what ends up happening is that the relationship is severed. In verse 26, the master answered him and said, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Now, don't see this as an admission on the part of the master saying, yeah, you're right about me. He is reiterating what has been said to prove and to make a very clear point to him. He said, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter seed. Well, you could have gone and put my investment in the bank and made something. You didn't have to dig it and throw it in the ground, but you did absolutely nothing with it. You don't even know me. You don't even know my desire. I'm not even sure that you care. And what is the response in verse 28? The master says, take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. And in verse 30, he says, cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And again, just like in the end of the last parable, right? The parable of the 10 virgins where everybody goes off to the party and then the people that didn't have their oil come and knock and he says, I never knew you get away from me. It's like the ending we don't want to hear because it makes us uncomfortable. Now here we see that this one who had been entrusted with his master's property is told, hey, not only are you losing what was given, but you are being thrown out and separated from your very master. And that leaves us even as Christians as we read this in this wrestling place of what does this mean? You know, growing up, what I often found is that I would wrestle because of the way that this passage was taught. People would say that, you know, it was about your talents and are you using your gifts? And if you're not using your gifts for Jesus, then somehow you're gonna be cast out. I was always afraid I was losing my salvation, to be honest with you. But this passage isn't just about giftedness. It's not just about uh, a, a, quote, talent. That's a, a unit or a measurement of weight. We often treat that passage wrong. And when we treat it that way, it, this passage doesn't make sense. But the idea behind this passage, the real thrust behind it, isn't the talent in and of itself. The focus is on faithfulness. Have I been faithful to the master? Faithfulness enters you into the joy of the master. A lack of faithfulness separates you from him. 
And so I want us to answer this question this morning. What does the parable teach us about being watchful? Both of these parables have been to try to help us to understand what it means for us as we approach the end days, a time that will be very difficult, it will be ugly, a time where people will be led astray, the love of most will go cold. Jesus tells his disciples and he tells us through the scriptures that we must be watchful. What does that mean? Well, letter A, as we unpack that, what we need to understand is this, is that God has entrusted us with much. I think one of the first things we need to remember is that God has entrusted us with much. And I hope this morning that as you think about that truth, that it overwhelms you first and foremost with just how incredible it is that God has entrusted you with something for the purposes of his kingdom. Because when I look back across my life, when I think of my own shortcomings, when I think of the ways even in the past weeks where I feel like, man, I just haven't honored God the way that I want to. I have screwed up. I still wrestle with sin like every normal person. And I sit there and I go, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm displeasing to God. How in the world could he use me? When I think about that truth, and I think about the fact that God still sent his son into this world to save me, it's an incredible truth. I'm overwhelmed by it. But he didn't just send his son to save me. What does the Bible say? He says that he sent Jesus into the world to save us, but then he makes us sons and heirs. Think about that. We are sons and heirs. Think of the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus tells in the New Testament. This prodigal son who goes and takes all of his father's wealth of his inheritance and he squanders it. And then he comes back to the father and just pleading, can you allow me to be like a servant in your kingdom? Like, I don't even have to be a son. What does he do? He reestablishes him not only as a son, but as a full heir within his family. Full rights, full privileges. In Galatians chapter 4 verse 7, Paul makes this clear when he says, you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. This is a concept that implies that what the Galatians had received, but we also have received, is not because of what we've done or will do, but because of what our Heavenly Father has given to us in this wonderful gift. Full rights, full privileges, full participation in the family of God. We see this in the book of John when we think of Jesus' reinstatement of Peter. In John chapter 21, after Peter, Jesus, just, just a short while after the passage we're reading this morning, as Jesus is going to the cross, you'll remember that Peter denies him three times. Did he ever knew him? Said he would never do it, but he did it. And then Jesus dies. Can you imagine the place that Peter is sitting in as one who has denied that he ever knew his master? Could you only think that the words running through his head might be when Jesus one time looked at his disciples and Peter himself and said, if you deny me before men, then I will deny you before my father. How unworthy he must have felt. And yet we come to this beautiful passage after Jesus has risen from the grave. He has appeared to his disciples. He comes out and they're out fishing and he calls them to the beach. And it tells us in John chapter 21, verse 15, that when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And what does he say? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And what's Jesus' response? And feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And what does Jesus say? Then feed 
my sheep. This beautiful reinstatement that takes place of Peter three times, Jesus reminds Peter not only the depth of his love for him and that he knows that Peter loves him back, but even more so three times he looks at Peter and says, you are not disqualified from participating in my kingdom. I have incredible plans for you to use your life to make an impact that will go on forever. God has entrusted us with so much, and it is beautiful that not only has he saved us, but even in spite of our failures and our shortcomings, he continues to use us to make an impact in the lives of other people. So what is it that he has entrusted us with? Number one, he's entrusted us with the gospel. To his disciples as he's speaking, no doubt, He has given them the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And the good news of Jesus has not left Israel yet at this point. Jesus would commission his disciples to go and to spread the gospel to the very ends of the earth. What is a gospel? The Greek word is euangelion. It has two parts to it. You might think of a word like uh, euphonious music, or which means something that sounds good, or a eulogy, which is a good word at a funeral. The prefix "eu" refers to something that is good or that is pleasant. And the word angelos or angelion means one who delivers a message. In other words, gospel means good message or good news. In the Old Testament, the announcement of a good message would be if a doctor came to a sick person and declared that they were well, what was he doing? He was giving them gospel, good news. In ancient days, when soldiers would go out to battle, people would wait for a report. And as the watchman would wait for the messenger to come, he would look. And based upon what he was doing, he could tell what the message would be. If he was doing the survival shuffle as he ran, it was grim news. If his legs were flying and dust was kicking up, gospel, good news was coming. And in the New Testament, we see that gospel was the proclamation of who Jesus was, what and what he had accomplished for us on the cross. When he died for our sin, taking our punishment so that we could be reconciled to God, The good news was sharing with others that Jesus died on the cross for their sin so that they could be reconciled to God and spend eternity with him forever in heaven. The good news was also how Jesus had transformed lives. So it was the work that Jesus had accomplished, but the good news in the gospel was also how Jesus had transformed each of our very own lives. I love this understanding because today we have been entrusted with the gospel. We have been trusted with the good news of what Jesus has done, and it can change and transform lives. And the message is about what Jesus has accomplished for others, but the message is also about what he has done and changing and transforming even my own cold heart so that I would know him. And God uses that gospel to continue today to change and transform lives. We have been given and entrusted with the responsibility to go and to share this gospel with other people. But not only have we been entrusted with the gospel, number two, we have been given varying gifts in order to go and to share this gospel and to care for the church community. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see that Paul goes through and gives a listing of different spiritual gifts. Now, granted, it is not a complete list. It is not meant to be uh, every single gift that is there. You will find other gifts and other passages of scripture. But the point is that God, through his Holy Spirit, 
gives us certain gifts to be used in the purposes of building up the church, but also in reaching the lost. It's interesting. How many people here who have ever taken a spiritual gift inventory test? Anybody ever taken one of those on paper? A number of you, right? I took a lot of these when I was in college. I didn't necessarily love them, if I'm honest, uh, and there are a number of reasons why, but some of them is because I think that if you don't use them right, you can get some real misunderstandings about what spiritual gifts are. A couple misnomers about gifts. One is this, is that sometimes we believe, if we, especially if we take these tests, that we are only given one or two gifts, and that's what we get in this lifetime, and that defines who we are and what it is that we should do. But what it does is it actually ignores what is said in 1 Corinthians 12, that the very Spirit of God gives gifts to each individual according to the ministry that he has called them to. And my friends, there are times where God gifts us for things that we would have never expected. You may have a gift that God has given you that he is going to use for your entire lifetime, but we cannot close off our minds so much that we go, that's all I do. Because there may be something else that God is desiring to call you to that he wants to entrust to you, that he will equip you with. Whether or not we are open to receive that is the question, to be faithful to seek him. Another thing that I believe we have to be careful of is this, is that when we talk about the gifts that God has given, we're not just talking about gifts and abilities, which I'm telling you, I've heard this passage of scripture in Matthew 25 taught this way so many times, like the, the talent is your gift or your ability. Understand this, gifts, spiritual gifts are different than just the abilities that you have. Spiritual gifts are things that the Spirit gives, He entrusts to us, but that the very Spirit of God empowers. What does that tell me? I can be a good teacher and not be ex exercising a spiritual gift of teaching. Spiritual gift of teaching is something that is empowered by the Spirit of God to transform lives. The question is, is am I connected to the very Spirit of God and allowing His power to surge through me in the process of ministering to His church or in teaching people or in, in, in sharing the good news of Jesus with other people? And so God has not only entrusted us with the gospel message, but he has entrusted us with varying gifts. Number three, this also implies that he has given us and, and entrusted us varying opportunities to use these gifts. We see that, and that God has given us so many opportunities to disciple others, especially within his church. It begins with our families. And do we see our responsibility and take seriously faithfulness, the responsibility that God has given us to faithfully disciple our families? But he has also given us his church. And there are many opportunities within the church to disciple young people, to disciple children, to disciple youth, to disciple young adults, to disciple new believers. Like as I listened to Leanne this morning share her testimony, praise God for the number of people in our church that have heard the call of God in their life to go and to use their own giftedness to reach young people with the gospel. It's a beautiful thing. But my friends, what I often find in the church is that many times there is much need and at times very few people willing to answer the call and to use the gift or to consider would God be entrusting me with this opportunity or this ministry. Our student ministry is constantly looking for leaders. Our kids ministry are looking for people that will come in and participate. Young adults, new believers. It's the whole reason we've spent a year talking about saying yes to the next generation. 
is because we believe that one of the important calls that God has put on each of us, he has entrusted us with passing on our faith to the next generation, whether it is the youngest in our community or simply people who are younger in the faith that need someone to come alongside of them so that they as well can continue to grow in their relationship with God. He gives us opportunities to disciple. He gives us many opportunities to show Christ's love to other people, even here within the body of Christ, with how we care for each other in, our time, in, the, in, in times of need, in times of sickness, the way that we love people that are hurting, the way that we care for the community. He has given us many opportunities to show Christ's love within our circles of influence, do we take advantage of those? He's given us opportunities and trusted us with the, with the ability to share Christ with others, with our neighbors and the nations. So not only has he entrusted us with the gospel and entrusted us with varying gifts and entrusted us with varying opportunities, number four, he has also provided us with resources that he desires for us to use for the purposes of his kingdom work. And when I talk about resources, I am talking about our time which is a very important resource that we often give to other things. I'm talking about our talents and I'm also talking about our financial resources. When we look at all of these things together, and this is just a small list, not conclusive by any means of everything, it helps us to understand that God has entrusted us with an extravagant gift to be able to participate in his kingdom work. And letter B, the most important thing that this text teaches us is that while we wait for his return, we are his stewards. We are his stewards. In the way that this parable is told that the master has gone, along, gone, gone away for a long period of time and they're waiting for his return, we as well find ourselves in this position from the time that Jesus went back up into heaven until the day that we live now, we are still waiting and looking forward to that day. But in this time period, we are meant to be as stewards. A steward is someone who manages or looks after someone else's property. But here's the problem. The problem is that many in the church today don't necessarily see themselves as a steward of things that have been entrusted to them. Many people don't feel the responsibility within the church to share their faith. That's somebody else's job. Far too many opportunities to use our gifts in the church are often bypassed. And I believe it's one of the greatest dangers to the mission of the church. It's the consumer mentality that has seeped in from our culture. We often believe that the church exists for us rather than for the mission. The church has fed this problem as well. I can't just blame people to sit in the pews. I believe that the church at large in America has fed the problem with a consumer mentality in the church by going towards an attractional style of ministry. When we go towards an attractional style of ministry, there was a wise man that one time said, what you capture people with is what you will keep them with. If you capture them with entertainment, that is the only way you're going to keep them. But if you capture them with the gospel, it will change and transform your life. And that is how you will keep them. Is that is how you will continue to expand the building and in, in the movement within God's kingdom. I want us to understand this truth in a very deep and important way because even as the church has fed this problem, believers are immersed in a culture today, a consumer culture that has been discipling us into this type of thinking. We think to ourselves, I'm not here to serve others. Someone else will take care of that. I'm not, I'm not called to share my, my faith. Someone else will do that. And instead, we focus on filling our lives with things that will please us rather than how God desires to use us. We see the resources that we have been given as ours, not as his. 
And rather than putting his priorities first, his priorities come last. And what he often receives from us is our leftovers. After we've made sure that we filled up our lives with so many other things, he can have what is left of our time, of our financial resources, of our talent. I want you to get this truth this morning. When we don't see ourselves as stewards of what God has entrusted us with, we see the things he has entrusted us with as being meant to serve us. And we reverse the very meaning that is in this parable. While we wait for his return, we are his stewards. And let her see, I want you to catch that being watchful isn't about keep, earning your keep. Many people, again, teach this passage wrongly, that talent means ability or gift. You need to find out what yours is, go and use it or else, right? But what that leads to is a checklist style of Christianity, a sense of obligation and often guilt that is not meant for the Christian life, half-hearted commitment, and we end up seeing God as a taskmaster rather than a father who desires an intimate relationship with me and who wants to fill my life with every good blessing. God doesn't desire just rote commitment to tasks. What he wants is our hearts. And he's been telling that to us from the very beginning of the Old Testament through the end of the New. What he wants is our hearts as we realize just how incredible his love for us is. So letter D, being watchful is about where your devotion lies, which is evidenced by your faithfulness to steward what God has given to you. That is the crux of what Jesus wants his disciples to catch and to understand. As they wait for the day of his return, being watchful is about their devotion to Jesus and to his mission. And it is evidenced by their faithfulness to steward what God has given to them. You know, I think the most important question that we can ask ourselves out of this text this morning is this. Do you love Christ in such a way that your greatest desire is to be found faithfully serving him with what he is entrusting to you when he returns? Do you love Christ and are you trusting him every day in such a way that the greatest desire of your heart is not the things of this world and the things that you can become entangled in, but that you would be found faithfully serving him with everything he is entrusting to you until the day that he returns. May this be who we are and who Christ is making us. Father, I thank you for time in your word this morning. And Lord, I thank you that as we have studied through this passage that uh, Lord, you are helping us to see and to understand the very heart of what you want us to know as we look forward to the day of your return. I know that each of us here, Lord, especially as we look at the world that we live in today, we are praying and asking you, Lord, please come quickly. It seems at times, though, Lord, as the signs that you listed in Matthew 24 are growing in their intensity that they're increasing in their frequency. It causes us to look and to wonder and to wait and to ask God, is today the day that you will return? And I confess that it can be very easy to get caught up in just focusing on that question, when is the day? But I thank you 
that even as you taught and talked with your disciples, you reminded them of those things that were most important. Are you being faithful? Are you being faithful in your commitment to you, Lord Jesus Christ? Are we being faithful to you? And even more, are we being faithful to engage in your mission so that more people will know Jesus until the day that he comes? Father, may each of us today, through the power of your Holy Spirit, reflect on our own hearts and lives and ask the question, are we personally ready? And are we personally faithfully committed to what you have entrusted us to us so that when you do come, Father, we will hear those words, well done, my good and my faithful servant.
Here's my heart, give it to him. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Give him your life now. Here's my life. Here's my life, Lord. As we close our service this morning, I just want to remind you, if you have any prayer needs this today, whether that be for healing or for anything that maybe you've been wrestling with God with, if you'd like to pray with somebody, we've got our prayer team would love that opportunity to pray with you today. Uh, Kathy and Ed are here up front this morning on my right, your left. Uh, please come and join them. They would love to lead you to our prayer room this morning for a time of prayer together. Uh, as well, I want to remind you that we're going to have a baptism meeting after our service right here also up front this morning. If you've never taken that step of baptism and declaring publicly and saying, Lord, I faithfully choose to follow you, there is no reason to wait. Come and join us and be baptized next week. So join us here just at the close of our service and we'll have a short meeting uh, and for just a little bit. And as you close today, uh, I just wanted to share one really quick final thought with you. You know, I, as I've been reading through Matthew 24 and 25 and thinking about this, I'm like, Think about the disciples. And after Jesus has died and he's resurrected, they're sent out to go out into all the world. And what's crazy to me is these guys go out like their hair is on fire. I mean, literally, these guys are going out, risking their lives, willing to be stoned, willing to be thrown into prison, willing to be alienated from everyone, even to go to death for Jesus. What is it that would bring somebody to such a place of faithful commitment? And I think... I think I figured out something in the passage this week. Remember that these guys have been longing for Jesus to come and to set up his kingdom in his eternal time of peace, right? And Jesus says, it's not yet. It's gonna be a long time. And what does he say in Matthew 24 to them? He says, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. These guys went out with such passion and faithfulness because they desperately wanted to see Jesus return. They went to go and to make sure that the gospel would reach the ends of the earth so that they could be with their king. And my family, I wanna tell you this morning that that is the very heart that God wants us to live with, to live faithfully longing for and expecting his return. And until that day when he comes, that we would live every day being faithful with what he has entrusted to us, telling others and hastening and speeding his return. So as you go out this week to serve the Lord, think about what has God entrusted me with. And am I faithfully taking what he has entrusted me with and using it for the purposes of his kingdom to bring glory and honor to his name? 
As you do so, God will be glorified. Thank you for worshiping with us today. God bless you and have a great week serving the Lord.